right, you guys. Let's come on back to our seats. There are, I think, plenty of seats now. So if you don't have a seat and you're in the back, I think you can. Or just stay back there. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to speak from the floor today because I feel like everybody's eight miles away from me. And uh, I hope that's okay. And if it's not, that's too bad. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that you bless this day. Lord, we thank you for the children and what they offered before you, Lord, as worship. And we thank you for that, Lord. It was, it was beautiful. And we pray that you would bless this time that we spend uh, looking into your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us kind of a seal to seal this series of... We've looked at these prophets, Lord. And I pray that you would mark, as we finish this off, Lord, that you would like put something so it stays with us for all the rest of our days. And that we could uh, carry the story with us, Lord. And that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. So like I said, we've been this whole summer, if, if you're recent or this is your first week, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, uh, we've been going through the stories of Elijah and Elisha found in First and Second Kings. And this is the last week. So I'm going to do a little bit of remembering as we go through it. But we also have a decent amount to cover um, we're going to be looking through 2 Kings 9 to 13. Don't worry, we're not going to read all of it. I'm going to paraphrase parts of it. But I want to make sure you understand where we're at in your Bible. And if you want to read along, we'll also have it on the screens. And then next week, starting next week, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. And that's going to be this entire fall. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark, one chapter a week. So we won't be covering as much ground each time. But the funny thing about the book of Mark is each chapter is pretty action-packed. Uh, but we'll get into that next week. So... Um, so look for that. Mark is gonna it's gonna run from about now till December. So that's gonna be pretty awesome. We'll have time to really focus on Jesus and kind of a summary of this whole last year. So let me just start uh, start by uh, well, I guess I have to give a little context just so you remember. Last week, um, Elisha is Eli- Elijah was the first prophet that we looked at, and then he had the protege Elisha. Elijah was the one they were showing had confronted the prophets of Baal at the altar and the fire and that whole thing. That was what, and, um, and then now Elijah has kind of, the chariots have come from heaven and taken him up, and Elisha has been, you know, serving the prophet role. And last week we ended, the, the story last week was when the armies were, surra- like the, the king was mad at Elisha because there was things happening he didn't like, and he wanted he wanted to blame him, so he sends an army to get him, and then the uh, Elisha's servant goes outside and sees the army around. He's like, oh, man, we're, we're done. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And then Elisha says, open his eyes, Lord, and show him what's really going on. And God shows the, the servant, like, there's, like, angel armies around that, you know. And so not to worry. But then it kind of ended with this summary that I made where it was just a bunch of the kings kind of having, you know, it kind of starts to paraphrase it inside. It's like, well, that guy did a lot of stuff, and it was really bad. And then this other guy, you know, he did a lot of really stu- stuff, and it was really bad. And so I had... It was just kind of like a competition of who could be worse. And it reminded me of this. It was kind of like each person was like, I can be better than you, you know. And it kind of reads like that. If you read through uh, these, these, some of these books, it kind of gets like that. It's like, yeah, and then this other guy came, and he was his son, and he also did bad. And then the other guy came, in and he also he did worse. And so it left, we left in this kind of place. The kings of Israel and Judah, Judah, the people of God had split into two kingdoms, and they're both doing bad, Okay. It's about all you need to know there. And the big thing to take away from this week, so like as we're talking through this thing, is God remembers things. You know, we may not. 
and even as we're finishing up this week, and I'll say like, hey, remember this? You go, oh, yeah, I remember when you talked about that two months ago or whatever. You know, God remembers the whole time. He's not like, oh, yeah. He's like, I know, you know. And so when God says something, he means it. And he doesn't forget that he said it. You know, we might be polite to somebody and promise, yeah, I'll come to that. And you're not going to ever go. You just lied. You know, God doesn't do that. God's not polite like that, you know. And you see this in Jesus. We'll see it as we go through. He just kind of says, yeah, or no, you know, things like that. But when God says some things, there's some things that God had said in the books that we looked at a couple weeks ago that haven't happened yet. And you could have been forgiven to think, like, oh, I guess that's not how that's going to be. I guess it's not, you know, and it's like, you're about to find out. God remembers everything he said. And uh, the other thing is, the sad part about this is there's a whole lot of what I call almost in these stories. We're going to go through several stories today, and there's a lot of almost. And that's not good. When you say almost, this is not good. You know, this is not the horseshoes and hand grenades thing. This is not good. And so we've got bad kings being bad and Elisha the prophet, and that's where we're going to start, right on 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. And I'm going to read this chunk, and then we'll start talking about it. The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak in your belt and take this flask of olive oil with you and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions, and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. It's a pretty, pretty interesting instruction. He's saying, Go anoint a guy. There's a king. Just so in case you didn't pick up on that. There is a king, uh, and he's saying, go anoint a different guy as the king. So the young prophet went to Ramoth-Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officer sitting there. I have a message for, your command- for you, commander, he said. <laughs> like, this whole exchange is pretty funny. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us? Asked Jehu. Because <laughs> he's like, he said, I-, I have a message for you. You're like, for who? Which one of us here? You know? And then he's like, for you, commander. And he replied, so Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord God, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. That's the current king, and I, or the descendants of his reign. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab, every last male in Israel, slave or free. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's not good. And like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, the dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. So that guy's standing there soaking in oil, and he's like, what? So, but... This is, this is why this is funny. He goes, when Jehu went out to his officers covered in oil, they're like, one of them asked him, is everything all right? What did this maniac come to you? Wait, wait, why did this maniac come to you? <laughs> then he says, uh, you, you know the man and the sort of things he says. <laughs> That's not true, they said. Tell us. And he's like, okay. This is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king of Israel. And they quickly took their cloaks and spread them on the, you know, and they blew a trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So, there is a king. And just to bring you up to speed, the current king of Israel is uh, Joram. I think I have a slide of this. Do I not? Maybe not. 
Current king of Israel is Joram. Current king of Judah is Ahaziah. Ahaziah. That's how you say it. Ahaziah. So these are the kings of the, and he's saying, I'm anointing you king of Israel, which means the other guy isn't anymore, which is not, this is not how you want to start your day. And then if you remember back when Elijah, not Elisha, God had said, remember the whole still small voice and all this thing? And he's over there by himself, and then God speaks to him. And he's like, you need to go, you know, you anoint Jehu as king. Well, that hasn't happened yet. It's happening now. And God says he's going to wipe out, he's going to end all of this stuff. All the bad stuff that Jezebel has done, all of it's going to end. But then it kind of, the story, if you remember, this whole summer, we kind of kept going on. It's like, what about that? Is that going to not happen? It's happening right now. But Jehu finds out he's the guy that has to do it. And he's like, oh, good, you know, and so... So he goes off to do it, you know, and, and as they're riding up to the, they, they see that there's this army coming and the king's like, uh-oh, there's an army coming. He's like, send out somebody and say like, what's up with that? Like, are you going to, is this good or bad? You know, and the, the people go out and they're like, hey, are you coming in peace? And he's like, what are you doing? Get behind us and come with us. And they're like, oh, and they're like, hey, king, the guy you sent to find out what's going on is now like with them. And he's like, uh-oh. So he's like, send somebody else. And then that happens again. And he's like, uh-oh. And so they're like, the kings, both of those guys, happen to be, and he's like, let's go out together and see what's going on. So they go out there, and they say this, verse 21, Hitch up my chariot, Joram ordered. And when it was hitched up, Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, rode out, each in his own chariot, to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Naboth, the Jezreelite. You might remember that. Remember when Ahab wanted that, that vineyard? God didn't forget. So guess where they're at right now? Just in case you didn't get the memo on that. Ahab, we wanted a vineyard, and the guy said, no, I'm not selling it. It's like my family's. And so his wife, Jezebel, was like, well, just let's get him killed, and then you can have it. You know? And then he does, and he took it, and God's like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm gonna, this, this is not okay with me, and I'm going to deal with this. So they find themselves exactly at that spot. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, have you come in peace, Jehu? <laughs> and Jehu says, how can there be peace as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound. And there's some exchanges, and he ends up shooting him with an arrow, and he dies. And Ahaziah attacks, and, and Jehu kills him too. So both those guys, gone. And so, and so this is actually, well, they, I'll, 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 just for the sake of time, I'm going to move. But they, they, they leave his body there, just like God. And if you look back in 1 Kings uh, this is what God said is going to happen. And it's literally in the exact same spot. And nobody did that. That's just how these things work. When God says things, he means them. You know, he's like, you stole this land from this guy and your blood is going to be in the ground here. And it is. It's the blood of his descendants. But that's what, you know, that's how this is working out. God remembers the situation that he said to Ahab through Elijah. He's like, this isn't going to last. So then, Je so Je Jezebel's actually still hanging on, you know. And so Jehu goes to deal with her. You know, now she's like the, you know, what do they call it in England? The queen mother? Like when you're not the queen anymore, but like, okay, just checking. She's something like that. I don't know if it worded the same way, but she's still around. So Jehu went to Je Je Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup and arranged her hair and looked out and looked out of a window. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, have you come in peace, you Zimri, you murderer of your master? She knows what's going on. He looked up the window and called out, who is on my side? Who? Two or three of the eunuchs, like the, the guys that were with her, the, you know, her, her kind of bodyguards and stuff, he says to them, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses, and they trampled her underfoot. 
Jehu went and ate and drank, and they take and he said, "Take care of that cursed woman," he said, and they and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So he's not wanting to like desecrate. He's like, "Well, go bury her at least." They went back and told Jehu. Who, they went back and told Jehu, who said, "This is the word of the Lord's." Oh, sorry. But when they went to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said. This is the word of the Lord. He had spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like the dung on the ground and the plot at Jezreel so that no one will be able to say this is Jezebel. So this is a kind of funny, interesting thing about God fulfilling this because even Jehu's like, ah, I feel like I don't want, let's go bury her at least. I feel a little bad about, you know. And by the time he gets back, God's already had the dogs do the thing that God said the dogs would do, which dogs don't do what you want them to. I can say I have several. So they're, they're learning, but God, this is my, my whole point about all of this is that God, God has the final say. God, we, I had written something about like God gets what he wants, but the word want is a weird word because it doesn't really apply to God because God says things and they happen. He speaks things and they have, he speaks words you know, you read at the beginning of John that the, the Word was with God and the Word was God and everything that came into being was through that. He's talking about Jesus, but he's talking about God and how God creates things. So God doesn't really have wants in the same way that we do. God just makes declarations of things and they happen. And this is what you're seeing here. And so there's still sons of Ahab and uh, Jehu goes and deals with them and the people there, they, they're like, look, we're not with these guys, so they end up killing them off and the whole household, like Elisha had said, is all shut off. So there's nothing left. And then something interesting happens. Because you remember the prophets of Baal that Elijah had confronted. And with the and they killed all this. So I guess this stuff keeps going, you know. So there's more prophets of Baal now. So Jehu's like, all right, we've got to get rid of these guys. And this is what God is telling him. So he says, hey, y- y'all remember Ahab. He liked Baal, right? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I really like Baal. So let's do some Baal stuff. And they're like, okay, get everybody. And he's like, why don't we get all the robes too? And they're like, all right, let's get all the robes. And then they get everybody gathered together to do some Baal stuff. And he's like, look, look, I want to go for real into this. I want some like OG Baal people. I don't want like the fakes. So get all the fake people out of here. And so they get all the fake people out. So it's only the real, real Baal people, the Baal people and all their Baal people stuff. And at that point, Jehu's like, all right, kill them all. And they like, they like, don't let anybody out. And so they let themselves, you know, like, you're not a real, you're not, you're, you're a fake. Like, you get out of here. And so it's just all the bad guys in one place. He kills them all. And, he, and so Jehu accomplished what God had said. Ahab's line is gone. Jezebel is gone. The prophets of Baal are gone. And everybody lived happily ever after. Right? Unfortunately, remember I said there's a lot of almosts. A lot of times when we talk about Jehu in the church, especially the charismatic church, which we're a part of, you know, it's like Jehu rides in and he comes in and, you know, he like deals with the situation, you know, this kind of thing. I always skip this last part. Look at this in verses 28 through 32. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. This is good. However, however, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's bad. Okay, just so you don't, in case you don't know that. Which, had caused Israel to, which he had caused Israel to commit. The worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. Remember in Exodus when they made a golden calf? This is giving credit to idols 
things only God does. The Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done and have done to the house of Ahab all that I had in mind, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet, Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord God of Israel, the, one, the same one that God gave Moses at that same situation. With, he didn't keep the law with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he caused Israel to commit. And because of that, in those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. And he keeps to going into talking about how. So Jehu doesn't, he, he's almost there, but he doesn't quite do it. And, I, and it made me think about this. Because when you preach about things, or when you just read things in the Bible, you can kind of focus on, you know, we could have just ended there. Like, Jehu did exactly, he accomplished all the things God said he would accomplish. Great story. End of story. Let's do communion and we can eat lunch, right? You know? But unfortunately, you keep reading and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, why did he not finish the, like, what, what is he doing here? Like, I thought he was serving God. I thought he was the king. They're like, didn't, Eli- didn't they anoint him? Like, Elisha sent a guy. He's the king now. And he's doing all these really good things. He goes, yeah, but almost. He almost. He almost did. He did do a lot of really good things. God even says, you did a lot of really good things. So you're going to, your, your descendants will sit on the throne for several generations. But who knows what could have been if you really, did it. And it made me think about this. There's a lot of things we, like, we do publicly or how people think about me or you publicly. You know, like, well, I go to church. I, you know, I, I'm a Christian man or a Christian woman, or, you know. And, uh, and then there's how we actually live at home. And they may not always line up. They might almost line up, but they may not line up all the way. Like, if somehow we could all see how all of us were living all the time, would we go, that's a Christian man, or that's a Christian woman. Look at how they're living. Or would it be almost? Some of us, it wouldn't be at all. But, like, would it be almost is where I think we need to hear today. Is it just almost? You can get things to look right for everybody else. And you can even do all the right things, you know. You can still be an almost. You don't want to be an almost. In the New Testament, you see this word ecclesia, which is a Greek word. And it means the called out ones. Like it, it, was a, it wasn't actually a religious term per se. It was like when you'd call together an assembly of people, like a meeting, like a public meeting, you know. And then they started using that Word sometimes it gets translated as congregation, like us, the church is the ecclesia, you know, the called out ones, the ones who are called out and living differently for Jesus in the world today, not almost, <laughs> but differently. Remember when we were talking in Exodus about bearing God's name in vain? Not doing that. We want to be the called out ones to when somebody goes, Okay, I see. That's different. There's something else going on here. Not just publicly, but all the time. And not almost. And I want to be very clear about this. This isn't like, okay, I get it, preachers. Of course you said, like, you're telling me that I need to be good so that God will like me. No, that is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm trying to say to you is God already loves you. He loves you, like, 
It's, there's, we go through this so many times. The scriptures about we love him because he first loved us, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And like we could go on for hours about this. God has love towards you, and he gave his son for you, and the sacrifice that he gave for your sins to restore you to relationship with him and for forgiveness and all those things and, re- and bring you new life. All of this is happening if you receive the gift. It's the response to it that I'm talking about. Like, Jehu doesn't go, maybe I'll be a really good boy, and then a prophet will come and anoint me king. That doesn't happen. You're not the son of the king. You don't get that. But God says, you're going to be king. It's like God saying, I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you eternal life. Do you want it? Answer, yes. And it's like, in our response is where we need to stop the almost thing. Because you can't earn. Like, the same way Jehu couldn't earn being a king. It doesn't work that way. It's a gift. It's something that God has given to you. But then how do you respond? Tim Keller says it like this. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's where everybody's brain goes. Okay, I get it. You want me to be good so that God will like me or something like that. No. That's what religion says. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Which is completely different. And most of us spend a lot of our lives and our thinking lives in that first half. That isn't what we're doing here, okay? But it's not easy. Most, the almost thing just floats around and like, it like seeps out like everywhere. Like G.K. Chesterton had said this about following Jesus, that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. It's like, well, can I get almost? We don't want to do that, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through some of what we see next that uh, down, down in Judah, Joash becomes king because, uh, you know, that king got killed too, right? And so his, his, uh, he, the, Ahaziah's mother tries to, she's like, well, I'll be the queen now. And so she tries to kill off all his brothers and sisters and everything. But like her or Ahaziah's sister hides his son, Joash, in the temple with priests and Eventually, they deal with the whole thing, and he becomes the king because the priests anoint him and everything. So he's, now he's king, and he's seven. And, but he's been with the priests for a while, and he's like, hey, this is like important stuff we're doing in here. Why does nobody, like, aren't we supposed to be the set-apart ones? Aren't we supposed to be, you know, the, the, the bearing God's name, all that? You know, like, like our, our temple is not in good shape here, guys. And so as a king, as a kid even, he's like, hey, look, let's start collecting money and fixing this place up. Like, this place is a dump. And so they start collecting money, and then people like, misuse it and all that kind of thing and so he comes in he goes okay i'm gonna take we're gonna do this better so they start collecting money from the worshipers and he makes it very clear this is not like part of the sacrifice and it doesn't even go to the sacred objects it's just to fix the place up and the people that go there donate money to fix the place up that's all i'm gonna say about that and so the uh he gets the money and they start but then they get work done they're getting stuff done but then they get attacked by somebody so he takes that money and he buys the guy off with the money for the, for the temple. It's another almost. He's like, gosh, you just almost had it. And then you, you give it away, you know. But then back to Israel, okay. So Jehu, Jehu passes on. His son becomes king. And it, this guy gets, doesn't get very much at all. It's like he did evil, right? So we're going to say that thing that almost you can live very publicly as a Christian person. You can fool everybody. You can fool your parents, 
You can fool your friends. You can fool all of us here. You can fool everybody online. You can take nice selfies and about your, you know, <laughs> quiet times or whatever. But your kids know how you live. So do all the selfie stuff. Do all that. I don't, that's fine. I don't, you know, just live it out, okay? <laughs> like, because here's the thing. They're going to get passed on the way you actually live, not whatever you're showing everybody, because they know it's fake. And more people probably know than you, than you think, but whatever. The, 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 we just get caught in the almost of, yeah, it's good enough. That's okay, you know, but your kids actually know. And so they took it to the next level. So Jehu's son does evil, right? And then Jehu's grandson, jo Jehoash, becomes the king, and he does evil. But he hears Elisha's dying, so Elisha's going to die. And he goes to him because he's worried. There's, you know, these guys, I don't know if you picked up on it, they battle a lot. And the kings, the surrounding kings battle each other a lot. So he's worried. He's like, these guys are going to attack me, you know, and you're the prophet. And I, so he's despairing a little bit. So Elisha says, get your bow. And he's like, go to this window, this east-facing window. He's like, now shoot it. Verse 17 in chapter 13, he says, open the east window. He said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and then he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And that's good. But it continues. So he's like, but there's more battles for you, king. Verse 18, then, he, then take the arrows, like the group of arrows. The king took them. Elisha took, told him, strike the ground. He strikes it three times and stops. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you're only defeated three times. Which is another almost. And in case you're like an OCD type person, and you're like, whoa, 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 like everything's five or six, like that's not what God is doing. <laughs> what you have here is a guy who's not living fully devoted to God, okay? He's trying to get things from God. Like, this is the prophet guy. You're the God guy. I'm the king guy, and I'm going to be fighting people. And I know that in the past, even though I don't want to fully go with the God thing, I know this is how these things happen. So I'm going to go talk to you, and you're going to help me out, right? And he's like, yeah, I'll help you out. He's like, Let's, he goes, you're going to defeat these guys. I'm like, okay, he's like, now, take the arrows, th these, this, this same thing that we were just prophesying with, take the arrows and, beat, and hit the ground. And he's like, okay. I feel kind of stupid. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, he's like, are you going to go like halfway do this? He's like, you should have beat the ground a bunch of times. Like, do you believe it or not? Again, he's not saying <laughs> it's the response. You know, it, it's kind of the, and even if he'd said, I feel really silly. Are you sure? I don't know how that would have worked, but <laughs> don't, the point is this. You can't, if, you're, if your whole thing is like, exactly how much do I have to do to be like good the answer is that's not solvable, okay? You already failed. Then you don't know who God is. You don't know what God's done for you. You don't know what's really going on in life. You can't see the spiritual battles. You're like the guy last week. You don't know what's going on. You're lost. You're trapped by the army. You're going to die. You're like these other people. You're going to just die and be wiped out. 
the, when you see what God is doing and what he's offering you, you don't go, okay, I, I really don't want to look stupid. Can I do it just like, you know, really just? It's this kind of thing. This is the attitude the guy's doing with it. Just, I just want to, you know, just not just, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say. When you really get it, he would probably broke the arrows on the ground, beating the ground with them. You know what I mean? And then verse 20 says this. Elisha died and was buried. That's it. Elisha died and was buried. You might think, well, gosh, I mean, Elisha got the whole chariot thing and a whole bit and all, you know. But here's the thing you need to remember. In James, which we went through James last year, it's talking about Elisha. In James 5.17, it says, Elisha was just a human being, just as we are, you know. Some translations say, just as we are, you know. This one says, even as we are. And then he prayed and it didn't rain, you know. But he, like Elisha, the same way. It's like, these are just guys. They're just guys like us, you know. They're guys God's using, but so are you, you know. These aren't, it's, it's God that's the one that does all this stuff. They're just like us. But God, you know, and I do, I think God has a sense of humor because you get this tiny little verse, and Elisha died and was buried. You're like, oh, wow, that's it? That's the whole, that's the end of this? We went through the whole summer, and that's the end. He just dies and he's buried. Well, a little extra piece at the end. Verse, verses 20 and 21. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring, which is not good. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, Suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. Like, they're like, let's big the Oh, no! And they're like, just get rid of him, let's go, you know. So they throw the guy into Elisha's tomb. Because Elisha's just, he's just a guy. He's buried, he's dead, okay? When the body, the dead body, touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. That's weird. And that's a better ending, because here you have this... Uh, it's a good reminder of the whole thing. It wasn't Elijah that was calling down fire. God, he, he actually did it. I mean, he stood there and did it, but he didn't make the fire come, you know? It wasn't Elisha that, you know, they both had the oil thing, and they were bringing people back from the dead and, you know, floating the axe head and all this kind of stuff. They weren't the ones doing all of it. It was God doing it the whole time. And just in case you didn't get the memo, Elisha just died. What? And they're like, but don't worry. You know, they threw a body on his bones and the guy came back to life. You're like, what? So here's the thing. His bones aren't the things doing it either. It's God. It always has been. It always will be. And that's the same way now as it was then. It's always just God. And I, and I like how he makes that point because you can't... <laughs> When your bones, I mean, like, it's one thing to say, like, oh, yeah, the guy can't bring down fire, of course. But it's like, he's literally like bones now. Like, that's all that's left of the guy, you know. But God's like, I got this, you know. And nobody's expecting it. It's always God and always has been God. So here, the two things, y'all come on up. We're going to sing a song and we'll do communion to close. The things I want you to take away from this, if you remember all the way back, First Kings, when Elijah stood with the prophets of Baal. That was probably the biggest story from this whole thing. You know, that's what the kids were just showing. He's saying, he challenges publicly the prophets of Baal and their God to a, a challenge against Israel and the real God. 
He's like, whoever's God answers by fire is the real God. They're like, okay, deal. This is good, you know. But he says this one thing, and I think this is kind of the takeaway for the whole, the whole thing. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? And this is very matter of fact. He's not, he just says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Elisha, the whole, they were saying, no more of this almost. No more of this, how much can I stay sort of unsurrendered? Or how much can I keep for myself? Or how little, how few times do I have to hit the ground for you to do this thing that you're telling me? Like how, what's the absolute minimum that I can do? And they're like, what? If, if, if that thing is God, serve it. This is not like a how much. It's an all or nothing. It's like a switch. He's like, if God, if God is God, serve him. If Yahweh is God, then serve him. If the idols are God, then serve them. But like the phone, they're going to betray you. They don't have any power. <laughs> they're empty. They're dead. Jesus, uh, when he came the night before, I want to end with, like, I know uh, this is kind of harsh. I want to end with a little hope for the almost. Because you might be like, you know, I've been an almost person probably for a long time. And after what you said, I don't want to be an almost person anymore. I want to surrender to Jesus. And I say, good. Because that's really the only right answer to this whole thing. <sighs> Jesus came. And he came with his whole purpose, and we'll see this as we get into the book of Mark. He knew what he was going to do. He knew the, he, he, he told them when he reads Isaiah 61, I'm about these kinds of things. I'm bringing healing and freedom to the captive. I'm bringing all these, and I'm going to do it. And you'll see these things They're like, whoa, okay. You know, and he's healing people like Elijah and Elisha were healing people. And he's multiplying food and he's touching, he's like doing all these amazing things, but he knows the whole time he's going to Jerusalem at some point and he's going to get arrested and beaten and unjustly killed publicly on the cross. And then that death that he would descend into the darkest places that exist and then surprise everybody by showing back up. And at that moment, he would break all of the the chains of death and hell. And he has the keys. And he'd been telling everybody this like the whole time, but it just doesn't quite sink in. It doesn't seem right. You're like, well, you know, things are going pretty good. People are, you know, they had ups and downs, but it was mostly ups, you know. And then there's the night before he's going to, to die. And he knows this. And they're having the Passover. And he takes the cup and he blesses it. And he says, this is my blood that's been given for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he offers it to everybody. And he also takes the bread. I think I got the order mixed up. But he takes the bread and says, this is my body that's been broken for you. Broken. And he's meaning on the cross. It's broken for you. For you. Broken for you. And, he's, and he says, take and eat this and do it in remembrance of me. And he serves this to his disciples that are there. And they're all there. Among them 
is Judas, who Jesus knows is going to betray him now. Like, he's leaving that place to go betray him, to sell him out to the bad guys who end up killing him. Also, there is Peter. Peter, the rock of the church. Peter, who shows back up in Acts and all, he does the amazing things. But Peter's like, afterwards, he's like, hey, wait a minute. Like, what are you talking about? You know, he promises, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll never do anything. And Jesus like, I know you. He's like, but even before the rooster crows this morning, you're going to die me three times. He's like, no way. But it all happens. Remember I said, like, Jesus remember or God remembers what he says, you know. But God doesn't give up on Peter, just like he doesn't give up on us. And when Jesus does show back up and surprises everybody, Peter runs there first because he's like, wait, is this true? And eventually when they encounter Jesus again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they're fishing again, and Jesus calls out to them, and it's him, and they go over and talk. And Jesus says to him, let me talk to you for a minute, man. He's like, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, I love you. He's like, I know. He's like, but do you love me? And he's like, yeah, I love you. And he's like, I know, but do you love me? Like, are you going to be an almost person? Are you going to be an all-the-way person? And Peter's like, you know that I love you. And he's like, you do. And so, I don't want you to just feel judged in the sense of, if you felt like an almost person for so long, like, okay, you're just putting me down. I get it. Great. You know, hear the invitation that Jesus says, like, do you love me? And if you're like, I do love you. And he's like, all right, then let's go. Let's do this. But it's for real, you know, and it's for everything. But I want to invite you. Can I have four youth come up? Come on, guys. I need two more. One more. Two more. Okay, we got it. <laughs> okay. Let me take this. They're going to serve you guys communion, and then we're going to close in, in, in prayer. We're going to have, uh, have lunch together. I want you to come forward because this is the beginning of our lunch, truly. The body and blood of Christ that he said to do in remembrance of him. So we're going to do that. We do this on our Super Second Sundays as the beginning of our lunch together. And I want you to come forward and receive this. Like we did a couple weeks ago at our fifth Sunday. I know it was not too long ago. But the cool thing about communion is you actually take and eat this and it becomes a part of you. It's not just like a... uh, you know, an external thing. It's an internal thing. It's a real thing. And Jesus wanted it that way. So, Lord, we pray that you bless this communion, that we would commune with you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to be people that would give you our whole hearts in response to you giving your whole self to us. You said, this is my body. Take and eat, and this is my blood given for you, Lord. And we, I, we don't take that lightly. We want to receive that into us, Lord, and we give back to you all of our worship which is our whole lives and everything that we have, Lord. And we pray that you would consecrate this time in your meeting with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to call you forward. Uh, Also, we're going to have some people available to pray. We usually pray in the back corner, but since we have all this space, we're going to do it in the front today. And uh, I'll close in prayer at the end. But everybody's invited to come forward and take communion. We do it by what we call intinction, which means you take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup. And you eat it. So that's how we do it. So feel come forward now and they'll lead us in worship as well.